In this episode of So Dramatic, my guest is comedian Jim Flanagan. Jim travels the country entertaining audiences and has opened up for some of the biggest names in comedy, including Sebastian Maniscalco, Rob Snyder, John Lovitz, and Dave Attell. Jim and I talk about performance artist Andy Kaufman, the timelessness of his art, his love of professional wrestling, and my anxiety watching I Love Lucy. So, Jimmy, mm-hmm. you are here with me mm-hmm. on my podcast, and you are one of the first people I thought who I would want to come because I knew immediately who I wanted to talk with you about. Really? Yes. See, selfishly, I wanted you to ask me to be on this because I've wanted to know. I, I enjoy the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, but I also wanted to know who you yeah. would pick. Okay. So how this works is I think of people who will come in my basement and sit mm-hmm. with me who won't be too freaked out. And who I know I'm going to have a great conversation with. Mm-hmm. And then I f- try to think of someone who I think we would have a great conversation with about and maybe that you wouldn't know too much about this person. Sure. So it's not that you have to come in prepared or anything. That's I've done part. all the work. But like I said, we just talk about anything. So mm-hmm. can I ask you first, mm-hmm. have you thought about who you think I might talk with you about? Yeah. I've thought about what genre you're going to go. Okay. Because you've had incredibly cool people who have done incredibly cool things right. on this podcast. And you're talking – I mean – you're going off on tangents about like Trotsky and like I don't even, I didn't even know who that was until that episode. So there's there's the nerve wracking factor right. of like if you pick an artist oh, that I'm not familiar so with, so you don't know Nietzsche? Is that what you're I'm saying? I'm not a big Nietzsche guy. I wish I did. Everyone talks about it, and I, I know like my flaws are going to come out in this podcast. Okay, that this like it's going to be real short. So, <laughs> so um, but that's okay. I mean, so I want to learn about whoever it is. So I'm excited. But so I didn't know. Would you go comedy? Okay. Um, and if you went comedy, there's one person we've talked about a lot okay. that I thought it might be. Okay. Um, that was Eddie Izzard. Okay. Um, okay. and I didn't know if it'd be him. Okay. Um, I don't know. I thought, then I thought might you might go music. Okay. For me. Uh huh. And a few names have popped into my mind for okay, music. Okay. Who are you thinking music? Right? I don't know because I don't want to like ruin it if you're using it for someone else. And <laughs> then like... I go, you guessed it. Forget mm-hmm. it. Wouldn't it's that be over. terrible? Okay. So, Jim Flanagan. Mm-hmm. I have chosen to talk with you about Andy Kaufman. What? So great. I'm so excited. Okay. So I I'm a huge fan. Me too. I don't, are you? I am. Okay, good. Um, but I, this was one of the best researching episodes I've ever done because I watched videos of him and yeah. just laughed my head off. How fun. Yeah, really fun. So I got to get my sources because, you know, I'm an English teacher. So um, Hollywood Reporter, tons of SNL videos, Johnny Carson, David Letterman. He was on there a million times. Mm-hmm. New, there's New York Times, New Yorker Magazine. There was a... Um, a reporter Julie Hacked who um, had like a year long interview. Like she kept coming back and meeting with him and wrote this article. And then there's this book, Comedy at the Edge by Richard Zoglin, which was really helpful as well. So, are we studying the REM song? Yeah, we're gonna, we'll talk about that. Okay, too. good. I yeah. know if that was one of your sources. Yeah, yeah, that would be one of them too, right? Mm. Okay. You're going to be singing that later. That's fine. That's fine. That's what <laughs> I'm here for. Are you a singer? No, you I'm not a singer. No. I don't do anything. <laughs> I know every we were talking about one episode. My friend was like, "Oh, what? How's that song go?" I'm like, "Oh God, I I'm lose my this. entire audience." <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of skills. That is not one of them. I would sell my soul to be able to sing. Yeah. Oh yeah. To be a singer, I would sell my to just be able to belt out a tune, be on a stage. Yeah. 
I would rather be able to dance than really? sing. Really? If, if you gave me one of those two yes. as an option that you could do, if you were able to sell your soul uh -huh. to be able to sing, I would be up there dancing. Wow. <laughs> I think that's what I'd do. Because that's something I can't do at all. Right. Singing, I don't even have any aspirations to do. Okay. But you're never at a wedding and people are like, hey, go sing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can be there and they're like, hey, go dance. And that's, <laughs> so I, I think I'd rather You'd do that. You'd have more, more option yeah. to use that skill. Okay. All right, I gotcha. So, um, the rock and roll 1970s, a new breed of comic inspired by the fearless Lenny Bruce, mm -hmm. made telling jokes in art form, innovative comedians like um, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, Robert Klein, and later Steve Martin, Albert Brooks, Robin Williams, Andy Kaufman, tore through the country and became as big as rock stars. In an, an era when Saturday Night Live was the apotheosis Ooh. of cool and the improv, catch a rising star in the comedy store were the hottest clubs around. A group of brilliant, iconoclastic comedians ruled the world and quite possibly changed it. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. Sounds like you're going to do a movie about them. I might. I might. So Andy Kaufman, while often called a comedian, he would describe himself as a song and dance man. <laughs> I could see that. He would like both of what we want right. then. He'd he want to sing want, and dance. He would be the combo, right? So he says he didn't like telling jokes and in, or engaging in comedy as it was traditionally understood. And once sang in a rare introspective interview that I'm not a comic and I've never told a joke. The comedian's promise is that he will go out there and make you laugh with him. My only promise is that I will try to entertain you as best I can. But uh, you can describe him as a performance artist. I feel like that's probably the best way to understand him. Absolutely. If you've never seen him or what he does, mm -hmm. I'd say performance artist is a really yeah. great. I can't tell you one of his jokes. I can tell you a lot of his bits. Yes. You know, and they You're were right. and they weren't necessarily a bit that you saw. In t I mean, one of his bits was being a busboy for a long time. You know what I mean? Just like that guy looks like Andy Kaufman. He worked at, you that, know? Right? He worked at yeah. like a diner. Yeah. And but you can't tell. I can't tell you a single joke he did. Uh, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. He he absolutely was part of that changing. Yeah. Over. Yeah. I found that I don't know when you were younger, if you because you are you're a comedian mm -hmm. unless you are you song and dance. Band. I'm a comedian. <laughs> I would listen to albums when mm -hmm. I was a kid. We had uh, a Bob Newhart album that we'd listen to a comedy album. There was a Steve Martin one we had. We had a Billy Crystal one, mm -hmm. too. And we would listen to that. We would put them on the record player and listen to those albums. And I just remember really enjoying that yeah and the setup of a joke and the you know just the whole and what was funny and what made comedy i was really intrigued by that so i was wondering like who was your who would you say were your inspirations for when i was a kid my mom had a bunch of bill cosby records oh really yeah and um so it was it was a lot of that it was my, my brother russell whom i slept with uh -huh. um i remember specifically like the noah's ark bit and things okay. of that nature okay. you know, but yeah. it was that it was sitting around yes whatever you were doing you were also listening to comedy yeah. albums and it's like a story like hearing a story it was just a different way of yeah of um a different breed of comedy for Absolutely. sure it wasn't one-liners it wasn't yeah, people were going out, and and for me, I didn't I didn't know as much about like the Steve Martins or the Billy Crystals uh -huh. early and everything. So I kind of had more of a Bill Cosby was a storyteller. Obviously, he wasn't yes. like a like you said a one liner, a traditional setup punch. Right. It was more, you know. But it, it was a time period where people started realizing you could be more mm -hmm. than just traditional stand up. Yeah, but I think it's something that's still boundaries that are being pushed today. You do, you know. I think there's a I ton think of that's people. Great. So what what would you say? What do you feel are the boundaries that I feel like there's almost nothing left. There there's, are no boundaries. Left. I don't think there are boundaries. And that's an interesting point because a lot of the things that are like even weird and alt today that yeah. people consider alt comedy, if you really break them down at their core, 
it's like anything. It's like any equation or anything else. There's really only like 10 jokes. Okay. You know what I mean? At their very core, okay. there's different, it, there are equations. There's right. formulas to get uh-huh. to things. Take my wife, please. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> and it's easy joke, simple, right. but 100%, it, you know, there's a million jokes that that spawned that, that they yeah. don't even probably know it, right? Right. But, but like anything, there's always a root form. Right. So a lot of what they did were breaking down the barriers that... That yeah, still get rebroken down today. We were okay. just talking about this earlier off script. I was at, at a show at a comic book store last night. Yeah, and that's not me. I do yeah. punchlines. I yeah. do jokes. Yeah, and then you, you know, I'm walking into a situation where it's a lot of 22 to 25, 26 year old comics doing very weird, uh, far ranging pieces. Okay, you know, someone was doing like an advertisement for the comic book store. You know, like okay. as part of their bit, and yeah. it's just they're just like, okay, we don't just want traditional here. Right. We want to be able to push those boundaries. Yeah. But those are the things that people have been thinking about since the '60s and '70s, yeah. right? And yeah. I don't think before that we saw anywhere near as much of it. But these guys just kind of came and broke the mold. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just so, and so different, and mm-hmm. a lot more. You know, you think of like Steve Martin and just kind of his okay. crazy performance. There was I was reading an article about him, and they were saying one one thing he did, Steve Martin did, was he had the audience come outside with him and all hide in the bushes, <laughs> and then he hailed a cab, and when the cab stopped, they all jumped out. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It's right. Who thinks of that, and then who has the gall to actually do, do it? it. I yeah. mean, that's absolutely, I know. that's incredible. I know, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, so that, that's interesting. So my th- some of my favorites of Andy Kaufman is he once read F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby, aloud, just the whole book. Just the whole thing. And then his audience laughed. The whole audience just laughed. Another time he was on stage, just pulled out a sleeping bag and went to sleep. Amazing. Uh, another time he just did his laundry. If you were at that show where he just pulled out yes. his sleeping bag and went to sleep, how mad would you be? Right. That's the question, right? So are you in on the joke? Yeah. So if you're in the audience, are you like, hey, I'm being punked? Mm -hmm. Or are you, I'm in on this joke. I get what you're doing. I get what you're, I get that you're pushing. I get that you're, there's a commentary here about his role and the audience role. Mm -hmm. I get that. But there's a part of me too that I don't like jokes that are mean to other people yeah. i don't like like um like hidden, uh, hidden camera shows really they like, make me uncomfortable i, mean, I like them i can't ta- i can't like impractical jokers yeah. i can't take it mm-hmm. those um what would you do oh. i want to punch yeah on coyotes or whatever his <laughs> yeah. name is in the face i'm like that's mean to me that you wouldn't get someone upset unnecessarily what would you do if this little girl was getting smashed beside her head mm-hmm. it's like what like that to me is like there's a meanness there and so I kind of feel That's that with some of his stuff that there's something that if you're not in on the joke, there's a, a level of kind of meanness yeah. that I don't like that. I, that's interesting. I don't know that I would have ever considered it meanness. Uh-huh. Well, I think th- there's, I mean, there's an elitism to it, right? That we're in on this and you're not. Like, so I guess there, I, I just don't think I would have considered it that uh-huh. way, that it was something that was mean. But even if I'm in on the joke and other people aren't, it bothers me. Okay. Like, so let's just, as an example, have you ever showed someone like a YouTube video or something that you thought was funny and then they didn't laugh and now... You know what I mean? Like, someone will be like, oh, this is great. You got to check this out. Uh-huh. And then they're not caring for it. <laughs> and maybe they didn't understand. And, and now I'm feeling bad right. yes. about it. Yeah. Imagine bringing someone to see Andy Kaufman. You're like, he's this amazing, uh-huh. you know, entertainer and right. performer. And you get there and he's just going to take a nap in his sleeping right. bag. And now not only you, you've brought someone else into this world yeah. of uncomfortability. Yeah. yeah. But I think you have to have that to push those boundaries. Yeah, and again, if he's saying, if he's considering himself not really a comedian, mm-hmm. 
then that makes sense. Yeah. But if you go with an expectation like I'm going to a comedy show, mm-hmm. I'm going to be entertained, and that's not what's happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's something. I, there's something there. So that part of it just it just kind of reminded me. I was thinking of too, like you had mentioned Eddie Izzard, mm-hmm. uh, who stand up I love. Mm-hmm. Um, Still, Ricky, I do the new stuff. I haven't seen yeah. much of it. Ricky Gervais, who I've mm-hmm. seen, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Kathy Griffin, I saw years ago, and my face hurt from laughing so hard, which I see her on like her TV show and stuff, and I don't find her that funny or that engaging, but it was probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. And you don't get to that level without being absolutely incredible. And it's okay that people don't find it funny. I'm not a huge Kathy Griffin fan. I get it, I get why people find her really funny, and there's a ton that you can still learn from her Mm -hmm. because she's a professional. Right. You know, I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. And who I'm trying to think of, oh, James Acaster. I think I told you about his repertoire, and he's got it's it's just it's a different type of comedy. Mm-hmm. It's a story. He's basically telling a story, and it's just it's very quirky. I think he's what he's doing is amazing. Um, Cameron Esposito, I don't know if yes. you, did you ever see her skit about her period. I've not seen that bit specifically. She's from Naperville. Oh, is she? Yeah, she came she, up through Chicago. Oh, Incredible. Okay. You, if you have a chance, you just mm-hmm. have to watch that. Okay. It's just her delivery. Her, it, She's fantastic. She's really good. And I'm sure people say this to you all the time, and I'm probably doing mm-hmm. it. And I'm such an ass. Like, oh, you got to see so-and-so. Sure. As if it's like then like, okay, here – it's just sort of like he, I know that you're into comedy. I know mm-hmm. that you enjoy that. Um, and not to say that you're not one of my favorite mm-hmm. comedians because you are. Thank you. And I've seen you so many times. Thank you. And every time I'm like, I even know the joke, mm-hmm. but I'm like, oh, you tweaked that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you changed. That's the fun mm-hmm. of it. I see what you did. I don't and think I'm anything's ever laughing. done. I don't think anything's ever finished in art. Yeah. But especially something like that, where like yeah. once you get to a level where you're putting it out there for mass consumption, uh-huh. it's done. Yeah. Right. You have to at that point end it or or switch gears. Yeah. But until then, I'll find stuff that I don't like that, but like it's still some of my best stuff that I wrote years ago. Right. That's still like, oh, but you know what? I, I can make this better. Uh-huh. And now there's a new wrinkle a new twist because even people who want to see it's not like a band where you want to see the hits so even if it's something you've seen before you want to know if there's something different there and i'm always fascinated by the artistic process Mm -hmm. and that's again why i'm fascinated by artists and like how did how did you get to there like what what was the process what happened what and that to me is fascinating Mm -hmm. so i for me to see you and to see the the transition and how you're changing and what you're adding and it's very i love that and that's really interesting for me to see so another thing he did it was that that the guy with the bizarre foreign accent, you know, that's the most famous. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. He says that. Latke. Latke? Latka? Latka. Latka. And that was when he was on Taxi. Mm-hmm. And then Elvis impersonation, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. Tony Clifton? Tony Clifton. <laughs> I'm a huge Tony Clifton fan. I mean, that's is the kind of uncomfortable. Yes. Because oh, I think there is a good uncomfortable. Like I think it's great. I See, think... I can't watch Seinfeld. Because I get too uncomfortable. I can't watch I Love Lucy. Wow. Because freaking Kramer's going to screw up. Sure. Or Lucy's going to do something stupid. And I get so anxious that I cannot watch it. See, (laughs) I understand that anxiety. And I get that way. Like, I can't do stuff. Like some of the boundary pushing things that comics do, knowing that their audience will find them and other people will go, that's weird, I don't get it, and uh-huh. walk away. I have that exact, exact same anxiety that you're talking about uh-huh. watching those shows when I'm doing something. Okay. I can't be in the middle of something thinking, man, two-thirds of the people here don't understand what's happening okay. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. It's a yeah. personal boundary. Yeah, yeah. But I think, oh, I, I, Seinfeld's great, but I have recently gotten into I Love Lucy, and <laughs> it is 
absolutely some of the best comedy I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and but you can't. I can't. Wow. I have to. It makes me uncomfortable, and I just don't. And I do love Jerry Seinfeld. I love that mm-hmm. comedians and cars getting coffee. It's great. I love that. Mm-hmm. His what was his the show that he did about his. I forget. He just just had a, a Netflix show about some oh, yeah, yeah, routine yeah. or something. That yeah, was yeah. that was so interesting. he like kind of yeah he he did a new hour um, yeah at um, his old club yeah yeah. So I love that. I love you know the conversation with and there was another show that used to be on years ago. I don't know if you ever saw it. it was called I think it was Dinner for Five. Mm-hmm. And who was the guy? It's he's the the guy who's in all those Marvel movies now. John Favreau. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was him, and then he'd invite like four people. Yeah. And they would sit and have dinner and like. It would be like maybe comedians or some guys from this movie, and I love that. To show. be a fly on the wall, right? Yeah, because you felt like you were sitting there with these people, and they're just having a regular conversation, and mm-hmm. it was just genius. I love that. A company I used to work for had like a big charity gala every year in Minneapolis, and it was huge. And yeah. the names that would be there were massive. And one year, literally on their stage, Chevy Chase was there to introduce Bill Clinton. Um, Steve Martin was there okay. with his folk band. Robin Williams was there, oh and God. Billy Crystal was there. Um, and so, like, just the end of the night, there's just a great picture of Chevy Chase, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, <gasps> and uh, Robin Williams all just sitting together in the green room, straight faced. First of all, just like right. no, right. no emotion to them whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But like how seriously they're taking it. And when yeah. you get that type of brain power uh-huh. in a room to discuss their feelings on a subject, there's yes. nothing better. Yeah, there's nothing oh. cooler than watching people's process. I like would that. love to have a show like that. Now I think that would be fantastic so all of those little those were his basic skits and so he was let's go back to the beginning shall mm-hmm. we okay so he's born in new york january 17th 1949 wow oldest of three children his mom was a homemaker and his dad was like a costume jewelry salesman so he and his brother michael and his sister carol grew up in a middle-class jewish family in Great Neck, Long Island. Kaufman early on began practicing his brand of comedy, staging make-believe television shows in his bedroom. So that's what he would do. He would be in his room alone watching these children's shows and like reenacting them over and over and over and over again. Could you imagine knowing that young what you wanted to do? I don't think he did know what he wanted to do. No, this was, he did not. This was just him. Was it more mimicking? Yes. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So he wasn't trying to create. He was just trying to impersonate. Yeah. And so he would like, then he started performing at children's parties, but he would do exactly what he did in his bedroom and just like imitate these characters. And, but people would hire him and he would show movies and then he would like talk along with the movies and act stuff out mm-hmm. with these, you know, he'd have like fit, uh, films that he would show. So, but he, it wasn't really like, he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, do that. He didn't know that at that point. So playing records, showing cartoons, that kind of stuff. He he's wrote a lot of poetry and stories. And then he had this Nigerian musician come to his school and he started to play the congas after that. That that got him into and you see him in his skits, mm-hmm. like his skits, he'll do that. But according to his mom, he was a, a loner. And when he was two, he was two when his brother Michael was born, and she said he would just stand and stare out the window. And she just felt really bad. She's like something like something was different, right? Yeah. She said I had really peculiar ideas about him. She said it was really hard taking care of him. And my mother-in-law said to me, you know what I used to do with my son, Jack, who was a wild one? I would tie him to a tree. Wait, what? I'd tie him up. And so she's like, okay, well, maybe because he was so wild, he'd like run out of the house and do stuff when he was little. So she tied him to a tree one time and thinking that would calm him down based on her mother-in-law's advice. Yeah. How is that okay? So she told, she goes, I told the doctor and he said, don't ever tie up your kids. <laughs> oh. And she said, I felt horrible. She's like, I just didn't know what to do. Like today, you wouldn't leave that doctor's office with that kid. Right. You know what I'm saying? If you yes. t- I tied the kid up. We'll be right yes. back. We need to make a couple of but phone think calls. think about, too, there's no, there's no 
at that point, there's so much information out now mm-hmm. that, you know, you go online, like, my kid's doing this, what do I do? Or, you know, you can find advice and information. Sure. She just didn't know what to do. Yeah. And a lot of that that era was, well, you just smack them around, or you give mm-hmm. a spanking, or, you know, that was just kind of the solution to everything. And I feel like he probably had, was on the spectrum somewhere, that there mm-hmm. was some autism there was something there with him so she said i had the strange idea that children were always supposed to be happy and smiling so when andy was four i took him to a psychologist and he said he could use some play therapy she's like he should have been put ahead in school should he was so smart he he could use a special school for gifted children because i just didn't think of it she's like no one else did either and she said he went to a psychologist until he was in college and found meditation she said that made a huge difference one he once he learned meditation that made a huge difference. She said up until then, he was always angry. He was unhappy. He was impatient. And that really calmed him down. I have a lot of friends in this business who are incredibly funny. Yeah. And until it clicks, though, like when I bomb, it's just an empty feeling. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for me, it's just sad and lonely. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who get really angry when it happens. Really? Until they figure out a way to channel it. Yeah. And it, it changes everything. So, I mean, that's not as uncommon uh-huh. as I would think yeah. for pe- for performers. Do you feel like, too, there's sort of a, maybe, I don't know if it's a myth, but do you feel that there's a lot of comedians who they feel are actually very sad? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people. You don't have to be. You don't, and and that's a misconception too, because mm-hmm. I think it is. It's prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're in a field where I mean, performance arts, whatever he wants to call himself. You're getting up there, and you are trying to make strangers enjoy something that mm-hmm. was in your mind, and especially the weird shit he was yeah. doing. He was probably bombing more often than not right. in a lot of these cases. Yeah, that takes a toll on you. You're right, and it's a different job than like someone who's like, I got to fill out mm-hmm. this report. Right. Whereas, like, as a teacher as well. When you have a class and there's one kid who's like doesn't get it and mm-hmm. who is nasty and you know thinks it's stupid, it kills you. Absolutely, it kills you. And it's Absolutely. a different, yeah. So that that's a good point. It's that a feeling that you, yeah. There's something you're trying to. You f- you didn't do your job. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, but for a lot of comics, they think that you have to have that, and that's not the case. Uh-huh. You know, you yeah. can get better. Yeah. You can improve yourself and still keep your edge. Uh-huh. I think is, is is one of the things that we're trying to learn now yeah you know it's that like because it's always been the misconception that you have to be that way okay. and it's like no you dark, can have dark both. Side. yeah okay. but you can you can certainly be improving who you are okay. and still be good at what you do right okay. but i yeah it's it okay that's a good point yeah i don't know yeah so he's practicing transcendental meditation he actually like trained in it so he could teach other people mm-hmm. and that was super important and then he was studying at this junior college he majored in television and radio production and that while he was there he wrote produced and directed this his own program called Uncle Andy's Funhouse <laughs> on this campus TV station so oh new so this uh, reporter this Julie Hack spent time with him over the course of years mentioning about that she was a New Yorker magazine and just her stories about Andy and Bob's Muda and just the crap that they put her through, it was, I mean, they, I, I, I didn't know, like, she was, she didn't believe anything they said. She didn't, she was like, what How is happening? You? And they, at one point, they like, Andy was driving her and he was driving super fast and crazy. She's like, get, get me out of this car. Get me out of this car. I pull over, pull over. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's like, she's like, pull over wherever. I'm getting out. Call me a cab. I'm not, I'm done. Right. So they pull <laughs> to this diner. And she and Andy go in, and Bob's like, oh, I'll be right in in a minute. So she and Andy are sitting in a booth, and he's just kind of talking. He's like, I'll call you a cab. I'll make sure a cab comes and takes you. Don't get back in the car with me. And she's like, okay, thank you. And so then Bob comes in and sits at the counter, mm-hmm. doesn't sit with them. And there was a man had been sitting in this spot. So then Bob comes in, 
And the guy comes back and he's like, hey, you know, that was my seat. Well, then Bob just bursts into tears and is like, I'm so, I didn't know it was your seat. And he's sobbing and crying and crying and crying. And Andy goes, what a baby. What's that guy? What a big loser. And so Andy's like going off. On, they, no one knows they're together, mm -hmm. right? And she's sitting there. And so then the whole diner is like, oh, don't say that. Oh, poor. So they're all like around Bob, like, it's okay. Bob. It's okay. The big guy who was pissed he was in the seat is like, it's all right. It's all right. You know. So then Andy and the reporter get up and they leave and Bob walks out. He goes, oh, I, I forgot to pay my bill. And they're like, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Just go. <laughs> but Andy's like heckling him. So it's that kind of like they planned that. Like or they would do that kind of stuff all the time. Anytime they walked in somewhere, there's something was going to happen. How often do you think they planned? I mean, we don't know the answer, right? But how much do you think they planned it versus I, that was just who they were? I think they probably did it so much that it was like, oh, we're going to here. This is our. Mm -hmm. This is what we do. It's a game. Yes. I've got a friend who every time I see him, he does everything he can to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> you know. And this is a friend. Are we saying yeah. friend in air quotes. Yeah. And no, no, he's a really good friend. <laughs> I mean, but that's how he. It's he's the funniest. We were he was in Chicago a few weeks ago. We went to a bar, and um, like he said something mean. I don't even remember what he said. You know, right. and said something mean to me while the server's there. Yeah. You know, oh. and she was just like, "Hey, knock it off!" And he just flipped out, walked outside, <gasps> stood in front of the restaurant, pouting, staring in at us. Shut up. And just like yes. completely. Yeah. Just impacting her day. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Just make right. it. And I, I'm not comfortable in this situation. I don't care for it. I, <laughs> that's not what I want. So now I'm yeah. like, he wants a Bob Zamuda yeah. to, to, to go along with yes, it. Yeah. I'm not that no, guy. Yeah. I'm like, hey, it's going to be fine. Yeah. He's got some issues. Yeah, He's got yeah. some anger we need to work out, you oh know? Um, but then he comes back in 20 minutes later and they're the best of friends. And now I'm the asshole. Yes. You know, like it's just, oh I mean, but there's people who are just built that way. Yeah. And ah, I think it's so fun. Yeah. It's, it's cra And just that all this, this was happening constantly. Mm -hmm. So this, again, over a course of a year, she's trying to, and then when the cab comes, it's some dude in like a wig and like, it's like a buddy of his. <laughs> Like it's of course just, it is. Right? It's like, what? So it was just well, really- Then starts probably driving faster, right? Oh, my like, God. <laughs> that's great. It was so crazy. He also had like this super obsession with cleanliness. He would wash his hands like a thousand times a day. Mm -hmm. He had a different toothbrush for every day of the week. So like this obsessive compulsive stuff, yeah. right? Except Sunday, he didn't brush his teeth on Sunday. The Lord's Day. I guess. Mm -hmm. In a hotel room, whenever they'd get, he and Bob would have a hotel room. He would make Bob go in the hallway with a pan and like a mallet and bang on it. And if Andy couldn't hear it from the room, they would have to switch rooms- <laughs> Or go to a different hotel. <laughs> and I don't know if that was like a fire thing or what it was, but it was like they literally be like, no, no I can't hear it. We got we to gotta go to a different hotel. So there was this, there was definitely this obsessive compulsive. Everything he does, though, is also this social experiment to see who reacts. I mean, I don't, yeah. is he gauging a reaction? Does he not care for a reaction? What is it? But I think, too, that was almost like part of his, like his picadillos, right? Mm -hmm. His, like, these are things that he had to do to make himself comfortable. He had to have a different toothbrush for every day. Uh. You know, he had to... You know, mm -hmm. yeah. So just uh, interesting. So when it, researching this, how? I mean, because you said you you had fun researching, it, mm -hmm. obviously, right? But you also said that these type of things give you anxiety to watch. Yes. How difficult? There were times where you're just like, I don't really want to. No, because I knew what was going to happen. Okay. And I knew, yeah, yeah. So the, the, he didn't always make me uncomfortable because okay. I knew that what was the end. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So he's not. He doesn't get me the way other people do. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be like in the fetal position talking <laughs> right. to you about this. So he would talk to about like going to college, going to like junior college. And he um, he said he was this. So this woman who was interviewing him, he said he would um, 
it was so cold in Boston, he would dress up. He'd wear a shirt, a sweatshirt, a sweater, a jacket, a coat, a raincoat. And he's like, and I'd be always late for class. And I'd come in, and then I would have to take everything off. And the class would just be staring at me. And I would take off layer after layer after layer. And he's like, I'm out of breath. And everyone would just be laughing. And he's like, and the teacher would be laughing. He's like, and it was, he was a great teacher. He was a really nice guy. And he said at the end of the semester, because Andy was studying radio, and he goes, don't do radio. People need to You're see you. You're visual. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, I want to be in TV. So I thought I'd major in radio. I'd get a disc jockey job, and then I'd work my way into TV. And the teacher said, Andy, if you want to be on TV, major in TV. That's awesome. And he said, wow. He said, yeah. Okay. He said, that really made sense to him. And he's like, basically, if you want to do something, do it. Don't mm. beat around the bush. So he said, I majored in TV and started performing for grownups for the first time with that Uncle Andy's fun house. And so he describes this, again, the process, right? Mm -hmm. How did he come up with that routine, the foreign man routine with the Elvis Presley impersonation? So he talks about how that came about. So he realized, he says, I realized all my life I'd been laughed at. I used to not like it. And that's why I was really unhappy because he was quirky and he was odd and people would laugh at him and he did not like that. So he said, I should start using that. And so he said, not being laughed with, being laughed at. I should use hmm. that. So he says, one day I looked in the mirror and I had my hair parted down the middle and I had a mustache and I looked like an old time comedian. And all my life I've been such a serious guy and I never could tell a joke. So I looked at myself and said, Andy, you can be a famous funny man if you want to. So I said to my friends, I'm going to go to this coffee house and I'm going to imitate Elvis and I'm going to play the conga drums and sing That's Amore. And they laughed They're like, OK, that's stupid. Yeah. Right. Just doing Elvis in a coffee house, like, that's crazy. And he says, people thought I was serious. They'd look at me and they'd say, am I dreaming? Is he for real? He says, I was just doing what I did and they loved it. So then they asked me back and I came back with Mighty Mouse. Like, did you ever mm -hmm. see the Mighty Mouse one? So good. So he just plays the record. He just stands so there and then just does the, the one, one line. Yeah. And it's, again, you know what's happening every single yes. time. Yeah. And it makes it, f because he's building this tension. Yes. He, he utilizes tension better than and anyone like, I've ever seen. water. Yeah. <laughs> He's just mouthing the word. Yeah, it's really great. So he's like, I, it was a song I'd been doing in my room for years. I was fantasizing doing it on a children's TV show, and it worked, and they clapped for it, and they laughed for it. He said, then foreign man. One of those afternoons when I'd read my poetry, I played the congas. I was 14. Everyone in the place was so embarrassed by this other man there, this, like a Pakistani accent, trying to do these terrible jokes. And he said they were so bad. They were these anecdotal jokes. And then he'd say shyly, well, that is my story. And no one would laugh. And then he'd say, well, that's all I wanted to say. And no one would laugh or applause. Just dead silence. He said it was painfully embarrassing. And then he'd say, well, thank you very much. And he said, my friend and I were hysterical. He said, we went outside and we went crazy. We're like, this is awesome. He said, so in college, I saw that the audience wouldn't accept it if I started out with Elvis. He said, if I started the routine with Elvis, they were offended. They're like, what do you think? You're handsome. You think you mm -hmm. look like Elvis? He said, so I decided that my natural innocence, which I'd lost after the first few times I did my act, I thought I could be more innocent as the foreign man. So maybe I get famous as a guy who speaks foreign, and the only thing he does is Elvis Presley. So the first time I tried it, the whole act was foreign man. So he's doing the mm -hmm. bad jokes, saying, like, take my wife, please. No, really take her, you know, in this foreign accent. <laughs> and then the, telling these bad jokes or forgetting the, the punchline mm -hmm. and going, wait, I can't remember the joke. And... And then he's like, okay, and doing impressions. Yeah. And then he's like, okay, now I'm going to do Elvis. And people are like, oh, God, this guy's bombing. He's terrible. He can't do anything. And then he nails this Elvis impression. It's perfect. Which is 
so good. And so people accepted it after they were like, okay, we, this guy's yeah. joking. Now um, the foreign man impression would get him kicked out of every comedy circle yeah, would in it? the country. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it just wouldn't be, yeah, it wouldn't be seen well. But that's, um, but again, it's the, it's the dichotomy, right? Mm-hmm. You go from that to just knocking out this Elvis. Right. Yes. Changes everything. And so he said the rest is history. So that was kind of the start of it. And then he says, I met Bob. Bob Zamuda, and we would share ideas. He said up until that point, he said he was really depressed, Mm -hmm. suicidal, even very depressed. And when he met Bob, he was kind of like, this is a guy who thinks like me, and I never met anybody who thinks like me. So they Mm -hmm. were kindred spirits, and they really, again, the the stuff that they were doing, the punking people, and that was like the first time he met anybody who kind of got him. So he first received major attention for his character, Foreign Man. It claimed to be from Caspiar, a fictional island in the Caspian Sea. (laughs) It was this character that Kaufman convinced the owner of the famed New York comedy club, The Improv, Bud Friedman, to allow him to form on stage. So he actually introduced himself to Bud in the accent as this guy pretended to be him. So he would appear as a foreign man on comedy stages and, again, play the recording of either Mighty Mouse, um, Stand Perfectly Still, and Lip Sync, only the Here I Come to Save the Day line. He would tell really bad jokes, just so bad. and like He would do like, oh, I am going to do... Impressions. I would like to imitate Mr. Carter, your president. And then you go, hello, I am Mr. Carter. <laughs> you know? Everything about it is perfect. I know. Archie Bunker, you meathead. You meathead. Get out of my chair. And he would just say, just so bad, right? So the inability, he couldn't even like get a good impression. Oh, so then he does Elvis, right? So he literally he turns around, he's got his back to the audience, he rips off the side of his pants, but he's got like this, you know, like this um bedazzling on the down the sides of his pants, pulls <laughs> off his jacket and the collar, and he's got like an Elvis shirt and he's combing his hair and combing his hair and combing his hair. And you're like, this is gonna stink because yeah. this guy sucks. And then like he turns around and does the best. And that's really when you hear it it, you think he's singing to a record of yep. Elvis. It is him. Mm-hmm. He sounds amazing. And then the one I saw, he goes, after every joke, he had said, you know, thank you very much. And so he, after he does the Elvis and he turns around, he goes, thank you very much. Like Elvis. <laughs> like Elvis? Oh, that's great. like Elvis. I was like, oh, that's so <laughs> great. And then he would take off his jacket and throw it in the audience. And then when he was over, he'd, he'd go back and take the jacket back from the audience members. <laughs> It's just so great. It's such and a great. Every piece was perfectly thought out. And yeah. how much of the audience you think got it? I, I I don't know. I mean, you when you talk about like the Great Gatsby stuff when he was reading that book, mm-hmm. like they said everyone laughed. There was like one guy in the audience. Like everybody else laughed. It's amazing. Crazy. Um. So 1971, he begins performing at improv locations in New York and Los Angeles, and confront his often confused audience with a strange kind of performance art. And he meets George Shapiro. That's going to be his um, manager. He's going to represent him. He made his national TV debut in 1974 in the Dean Martin Comedy Hour. And he was soon appearing on TV, including a new show called Saturday Night Live. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I I have to look that up. I'll have to research that. Mm -hmm. Oh, the other thing I can't stand, crank phone calls. Really? Again, they're not in on the joke. I don't like that. Like whenever like Howard Stern Mm -hmm. has that. Or some news or some like morning talk sure. shows will do that. I I can't turn really? it fast enough. 
I don't know. I enjoy it's them. It's mean. Some of them get too much for me. I yes. certainly understand okay. where you're coming from. I can I can handle them at their core. Yeah. But when they get like Impractical Jokers is not something I, I watch a lot. Uh-huh. But if I'm watching it, I'll enjoy it sometimes. And other times I just have to change the channel. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't. Even though I know at the end of this, they're yeah. going to be like, hey, this is a TV show. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But like for that person, that person I've never met in a random yes. mall yeah. somewhere in North America. I know. I'm like, oh, no, for the next nine and a half seconds, you're going to feel terrible and until you know what's happening. I know for myself, I don't like, like I took classes at Second City. Mm-hmm. I would never take an improv class. I don't mm-hmm. like that. I want a script. Really? I want a script. I want to get up. I don't want to improv. I don't want to pretend I'm a snowball or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I want, I want a script. I want to memorize it. I want to perform it. I don't like doing improv. Okay. And I kind of feel like I just, and I don't like when I'm at a show and then they, they want audience participation. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I mean, <laughs> if you're in the first few rows, I think that there's there's some engagement. Yeah. But again, I don't think it's it's ever about making them, ah, eh, there's got to be a foil. Yeah, there's got to be uh-huh. a, there's got to be a butt to the joke. Right. But you never want it to be mean spirited. Yes. And it's never, I never... I've never chosen someone who looks visually uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Or if I do and I realize that, I'll move away okay. immediately. Okay. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you don't want to be that to people either. Yeah. But I yeah. get it. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so what did you take? Just straight sketch classes? It was, I think it was just an acting class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just an acting. So we had a story or a script or something and perform it, like a monologue. It was mm-hmm. like monologues. So. But never improv. You don't want to do anything improv. I don't like it. But would you like to, would you like to do written comedy? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you I do had a comedic script, acting, yeah. if as long as it yeah. wasn't improv. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't either. That's why I do stand up. <laughs> you still improvise with stand up, but it's on your terms. Yes. You have a control. I don't like improv personally because I don't like other people being responsible. Oh, I thought you were saying I don't like other people. I, don't, well, I could have stopped after people. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't like other people. I don't like other people getting part of the credit or part of the blame. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I want it to go where I want it to go. Yes. I want to be in control of there's the interaction. There's some control. Yeah. And I do that with teaching, too. Like, I when I first teach, like, if there's a class I have to teach, I will literally type out what I want to say. And by the time I've taught it, I don't I don't use that script. Right. You know what I mean? But I have it all written out. I have it kind of what I want to it's say. preparation. Yeah. And I need that. I, I can go in and pretty much I'll kind of wing it. And I know if I've taught it a few times, mm-hmm. I can go in. I don't need my notes anymore. But initially... I like that control. God, I need to be better at that. Do you? So the other thing I want to ask you is, so just before you go on, so I used to, I did shows like in college. I've mm-hmm. not acted in a really long time. But did you, when just before you walk on stage, do you ever have your mind just go completely blank? Never completely at this point. You you try and have a plan. Mm-hmm. But stand-up has this way of humbling you where the moment you get too cocky, okay. the moment you don't do your normal routine, uh-huh. you don't plan, you don't. Or you just go, I've got this. I've been on stage 15 nights in a row. Right. I've done three sets some okay. nights. I know exactly what I'm about to say. Yeah. I've got this. Yeah. It has a way of humbling you. But I think, too, that that's almost harder because I know when I've taught classes, like the same class, I'll be like, did, did I, I say, say that? that? Mm-hmm. Did I say that? Oh, my God. <laughs> right. I have started jokes. I have, I'm like, I was at the mall, and then I finished that joke, and I was like, I was at the mall. <laughs> Shit. I already did the mall thing. Because not only does it ruin, it, it also takes them out of the moment. Yes. The biggest thing about comedy to me is anything that takes you out of that moment and makes you think about what's happening. Well, I think especially with the way you engage with your audience is you're just kind of like, I'm just your buddy hanging out with you, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell you these observations that mm-hmm. I've made. So the minute it seems scripted, you're right. Then you're like, oh, you're te- you so yeah. you wrote that. This is just what this, this is. is a, this is an act. This is what you're telling everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. That that would really affect that. But yeah, I find that really 
like, did I say this? Did I do this? Did I, you know, and it's almost harder when you're done it so many times in a row. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There's an energy. I don't know. I feel like you have to have, uh, to me, I have to have nervous energy. I can't speak for anyone Mm -hmm. else, right? But I have to have a nervous energy. Mm -hmm. And the moment I get to a point where, you know, so I'm always thinking ahead of time. My mind will never go completely blank, Mm -hmm. but there are times I walk up there and I'm like, shit, I never thought about how to start. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I never thought about the the first thing that has to, because you can't always just go right into a joke. You know, yes. sometimes you have to address a situation yeah. or address a scenario, uh-huh. but w- you get to a point right. where you're just clicking on all cylinders, yes. everything's humming along. Yeah. Hey, where's and, everybody from? <laughs> yeah. And if you don't Anyone start right, yeah. And if you don't start right, <laughs> yeah. it can tank your whole set. Yeah. They, it can always be in the back of the your, of their minds. Yeah. You know what I mean? That something's just not quite right. They never right. just fully let loose, yeah. I think. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. it's weird. So that first time he was on Saturday Night Live, so he was invited to audition and then he ended up being on there 14 times. And actually, he Lori never and, as a ca- I'm sorry, never as ahead. a cast member though, right? Well, he kind of was hired. Mm-hmm. They they kind of considered him a cast member, okay. but not week. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. on every week. Okay. But um, Lori Anderson, you know, she's kind of a sort of performance artist, singer. Lori Anderson, she's from that era. Okay. But she would work alongside him for a time in the '70s. Kind of his, she would be his straight man to his <laughs> his routine, <laughs> and so they would go to like Coney Island. And one of his performances was he would get on this ride that like the ride where like you stand up and then then it starts spinning. Okay. And he would start freaking out <laughs> and crying and panicking. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of uncomfortable that is great though, right? That's it's fun to watch every single there. time. It's great because I was there. Oh, but I love it. that's just, that to me is like that's so great, right? One of the times so Julie Hecht went with him that Reporter, she went with him to SNL and he was doing his. <laughs> this is my favorite part. How amazing are you at something that 30 years later you are still laughing it's at it? 40 timeless. years later, you are still laughing at it. It is timeless. It. That's what's so great about this. You're the one who knows what's about to happen. I know. And you I'm can't cracking stop myself laughing. up. So he gets on stage and he's reading from. Uh, do you want me to read this? Do you want to switch roles for a minute? <laughs> he's reading from Great Gatsby. And he's wearing like this shirt, like a tuxedo and like this shirt his, they borrowed from his dad. He's like, oh, this is my father's shirt. I'm, I think it's kind of like Gatsby. And she's like, maybe you should reread that book because it's it's like this ruffled yellow shirt. He's like, why? What's wrong? So the rest of her, so he comes out with this English accent and he starts reading from Great Gatsby. And the audience is like booing, you know. Like, get off, stop. And he's like, what? And next to me, he's got this record player. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, oh, you you want me to stop? You don't want me to read? You want me to play record instead? They're like, yeah, play the record. Thinking he's going to do. So he puts the record on, and it's him reading the book. (laughs) Exactly where he left off. (laughs) Because they think he's going to do Mighty Mouse when he goes into the record player. That, that is just so great. Like if he only did that in his life, I. I mean, it's enough. You won. It's a career, right? In one <laughs> beautiful. Won. But how long had he been setting that bit up? Everyone there had to be familiar with the Mighty Mouse bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. this is. I mean, th- this is a different level than what anyone's doing. I know. It's incredible. 
Jimmy. I just, I was just dying. I was dying. I was dying. He does a ton of appearances on David Letterman. David Letterman mm-hmm. had the daytime show. He did a lot on there. And then 11 appearances on the late night with David Letterman. He would do crazy stuff with David. Like he'd like bring his wife and kids. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> he would just do that. Just a random family. One time he's he comes on, he's like got this huge booger on his face. Like it's like, it's just, <laughs> and then he's like, Dave's like, okay, you're going to do, you're going to do like your, Routine's like, yeah. So he goes and sits on the stool and then he starts talking. He's like, why are you laughing? Like anything he said, people like were like, ah, ha, ha. he's like, I'm not I'm not saying anything funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I, But they were expecting to, you know, to laugh. So they just, whatever came out of his mouth, they laughed. He's like, what are you? I'm not saying anything funny. Why are you laughing? So imagine the whole point of your comedy is to build tension to something. Yeah. And then people start laughing at every word you say. Right. The frustrations that that man had to go through. But they're all self-created. But. That's the whole point is that he's like, you don't know what to expect because mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, I know he's going to do something crazy. So anything he says, you're like, oh, it's like he's like, well, that's not the joke. Yeah. So you don't get it. That's you a, don't yep, get me. You don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, then he starts saying, I just got divorced. My wife took most of my money. So I need some money. So if you guys could just give me some money. So he starts walking through the audience. <laughs> <laughs> taking and there are people are giving him money and then like the stage hand comes off and like leads him off stage and that was it he never told a joke he never said anything and people were it, again this performance art that's just crazy but it was new york in the 70s everyone wanted to be in right uh-huh. like you gave andy kaufman 40 bucks how like you know what i mean like that's a great story right and now i'm part of this it's mm-hmm. like are you part of it yeah or no. did you just get punked right you absolutely aren't part uh-huh. of it but in your mind that's great yeah yeah one of my favorite performances though was the thing at carnegie hall did you ever hear about that so remind me so he does this thing where he goes to carnegie hall the showtime's 803 like on the ticket it says 803 <laughs> um <laughs> He has the Rockettes. He has the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. He has these young little blonde children singing songs from Sound of Music. It's like everything's on there. Then he shows this old-timey, like, Western. And then one of the women who he said was in this is here tonight. She comes out, and he's like, oh, can you redo that? Can you redo that scene where you're riding the horse? And he gives her, like, a fake little horse that she's running. He's like, faster, faster, faster. And then she, like, collapses on stage and dies. Oh, my God. So then he, like, revives her. You know, it's just this crazy... And in the meantime, he's got this woman sitting on a couch on the stage. She says, this is my grandmother. I told her one day I'm going to play at Carnegie Hall, and she'll have the best seat in the house. So here's my grandmother. She's sitting there. At the end of the show, she stands up. It's Robin Williams in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> then at the end Thus of the show. Thus Mrs. Doubtfire is born. Oh, my God. Exactly. So then, like, Santa comes. You know, it's like uh, cr- like anything, everything wonderful, amazing. They're singing all these great songs. And then at the end, he takes the entire audience out for cookies and milk. 2,800 people. They load up on 24 buses, and he takes them all that's out incredible. for cookies and milk. I just, I think that's just so fantastic. Did you ever go to the, uh, what is it, the comedy store in LA? LA? Yep, comedy store. So th- on their menu, they have an Andy Kaufman special. Which, which is? is two cookies and a glass of milk. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice little tribute yeah, to Yeah, it is a tribute. I thought that was kind of cool. So he's also on the dating game in 1978 as, like, the foreign man. And so the woman, like, picks the other bachelor, and okay. he starts crying. He goes, but I answered all the questions right. <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't understand. He's like, I answered, I answered, I answered everything right. <laughs> How ridiculous. 
<laughs> You're at such a level. I didn't realize that that show was just like a place for like actors to go and kind of get exposure. A lot of them. Yeah, I didn't. Most of those shows. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't around then. But most <laughs> of the no, like I mean, everything you see, right? It's it, they're all filmed in New York or LA because it's actors and actresses who are yeah. looking for work. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of those game shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I got you a gig doing this game show. Yep, like, I absolutely. didn't realize that. They want attractive people, yeah. right? So the actors and actresses. But, I mean, very rarely is it a launching ground <laughs> for a career like Andy Kaufman's. <laughs> so 78 is when he signs on for Taxi. So he plays this auto mechanic, mm-hmm. Latka, Gravis, indeterminate nationality. And it kind of reminds me, that character reminds me of Borat. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. And I feel like he's he had to be inspired. Everything you're telling me, I can give you someone who was inspired by it. Yeah. You know, I remember maybe a decade ago, Howie Mandel was on Conan and like flew the entire audience. Like, yeah, I was like, I have a show tonight in uh-huh. Burbank or, or somewhere else, like an hour away. Yeah. You guys want to go? And they're like, yeah. So he like, I'm oh serious. Follow me. Yeah. And he lined them all up and he took okay. them out and they got on a right. plane and they flew and they watched his gig and then they came back yeah. and they finished Conan. Like, that's 100% uh-huh. what he's doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where, so, I mean, everything you're saying yeah. is still inspiring more. Yes. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So, oh, he was nominated for Golden Globes for that role, mm-hmm. like twice. I hated that show so much. Did you? Oh, here's the thing. I, I was born in 1980, so I was a okay. kid who... I wanted to watch my shows. Yeah. And whenever, we only had like one or two TVs. Right. So whenever my parents were watching a show that I didn't like, yeah. it was the most frustrating. And even if it was like a, it was a sitcom, yeah. it was still an adult sitcom. Okay. It wasn't like a dumb slapstick one for kids. Right, right. right. So, yeah, but, you end up, you end up watching what, like oh your parents, God. you'd watch stuff, like my mom would always watch like at Friday at like six, it would be like the McNeil News yeah. hour and I'd be like stabbing oh, my eyes out. I'm like, this is horrible. It. MASH? Like it's the longest running show. I'm like, yeah, it like seems like it's been on forever. I gotta be honest. It does, We've been on one episode. Like We've been on one episode, and it seems like it's been a month. But so, whenever he came on Taxi, okay. it changed my mind. You know what I mean? Okay. Like it was whenever he was doing something on yeah. there, everything was fine. Yeah. I would like I couldn't openly he entertained you. Like this is stupid, but leave yeah. it on until he's done. <laughs> but hold on. Yeah, second. give me a minute. <laughs> I didn't realize he won Golden Globes for that. Yeah, though. or nominated. Nominated. Uh, you know what I mean? For several times. But so p- one of the stipulations in his contract was that Tony Clifton, your favorite, would be guaranteed a certain amount of guest appearances. <laughs> so I do not remember Tony Clifton on Taxi. He wasn't. Okay, okay so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Th- when he came to be on there, so the, they wrote this episode, and he was going to be Danny DeVito's brother. And so he comes uh, on, and he literally walks on the set. He's just this miserable son of a bitch he's got two prostitutes with them and he's like i rewrote the script and they're in it and couldn't act pissed off everybody everyone there pissed them off pissed them off and so on that day tony danza had brought like a his own like video camera so Mm -hmm. he videotaped it and that's out there he he says you can't find it but it's somewhere locked away but so he taped what was happening, and then the producer's like, this guy's, he's got to get be fired. This guy's a jerk. We can't work with him. So they fired him, but he said, you fire me in person. So he came on set, and he went in this tirade, and he and Judd Hirsch got in their wrestling match. <laughs> was this Zamuda as Clifton? Okay, so who knows? Who, you don't the, know. That's the best part of this bit. Yes. That's Is the it best Tony? part of this bit. Okay, so the, the, there's even, it gets better. So... Danza film this. So then uh, basically he had to be removed by security. Mm-hmm. They had to take him off. And then days later, Andy comes back and Tony's watching, like playing the video for everybody. And so he's like, or Tony Danza was, not mm-hmm. Tony Clifton. And so Andy's like, what an asshole. What an asshole that guy was. 
So he's still playing up the thing that, like, <laughs> it's not him. Yeah. Right? So, but part of that taxi deal was that ABC would give him a television special. Yes. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> so they wrote Andy's Funhouse, and it was kind of like that old routine from Uncle Andy's. Mm-hmm. And they taped it in 77, but they did not release it until 79. And so <laughs> it was this really famous gags, foreign, the foreign man, his Elvis impersonation, and like unique segments. <laughs> The has-been corner, or like people who were has-beens, like would come back and try to get their career back, and he was just like, "How does it feel to be, like be a loser?" And like, like he was just like, not. In- it was just so funny. And then the part of the segment is the screen goes to static, so it's like, is it the show's over? And he's like, the executives like, no, people no, are going to think gonna you can't do that. Channel. People are going to turn it off, and and he's like, no, that that's part of the right. That's that's Andy. People are going to panic. People are going. He's like, right. And then 83, he did another similar one for ABC. Mm-hmm. No, for PBS, Soundstage. And <laughs> part of it is like, it opens with him sitting like in the audience laughing and then the credits roll. Like that's the start of it. <laughs> so you're watching it, you're like, oh my God, I missed it. I just missed the whole thing. I missed the whole Was thing. Was it at 703 right. instead of 803? Yes. <laughs> you know, just, just. Awesome. And so one of them, in one of the segments is he's interview. <laughs> Elaine Boozler. Elaine Boozler and he dated. They were mm-hmm. dated for a long time. They lived together and they were lifelong friends. So he's interviewing her, but his desk is like eight feet high. And so he's <laughs> it's like David Letterman set up. So imagine that. But his desk, he's like Just eight giant. feet in the air. And her cup of coffee or whatever is up there. So she has to stand <laughs> on her chair to get the cup of coffee. And so she's looking up, staring at him. And he's interviewing her. And she's like, He's bringing up like they're dating and stuff, and she's getting all pissed. And it's just, it's again, this is timeless. This is, whenever you see this, it's funny. If you can watch this, Andy's Funhouse, I'm telling oh, I you, love it. it's just as funny today. Mm. And I remember seeing it on, I remember watching it and thinking, this is very interesting. What? Oh, so Fridays was another show that, do you remember that show I at do, all? I do briefly. Yeah. So they were trying to compete with Saturday Night Live. Yes. What years was that? That was early um, 80s. Eighty one. Okay. So yeah, I think that was yeah, eighty one. He sits down, so um Michael Richards, yeah, was in Seinfeld, was in that, sits down in the sketch and he goes, This is really stupid. I feel really stupid. Like breaks character, breaks and then but Michael it was live, Ri- right? Yes. Yeah. And it was Friday night. Yeah. So Michael Richards grabs the cue cards and throws them at, at him, like read the cue cards and then they kind of get in a fight. Like, it's just this big, it's a big deal. So it's live TV, yeah. and then he's fighting with the cast members, and they're dumping stuff on each other. And it got really ugly. They said um, that Fridays was sort of an attempt to capture this Saturday Night Live feeling mm-hmm. for ABC. But they basically said that that episode bought them a whole nother season. Amazing. Because people were like, wow. We need to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. this is really, really crazy. So after that episode aired, ABC was deluged with letters and calls saying, was this was this a joke? Was this mm-hmm. put on? And so his displeasure, they said, yeah, we it was planned. We Everyone knew it was happening. And so then he appeared on the show apologizing and says, you know, it's a hard week for me. My I'm separated from my wife. Again, he's not married. Right, right. So he's just like, he's just lying. But he didn't like that they said we knew about it. And then six months after that, he comes back on the show and says now he's a born-again Christian, even though he's Jewish. <laughs> Did you watch wrestling? Were you a wrestling guy? Yeah, so much. So I so, remember you telling me this. 
Really? Yeah, I remember yeah, hearing probably, this. Yeah, no, maybe no. not me. I was no, just, I was over. Yeah. I was eavesdropping on a conversation maybe. I had with somebody. I don't know. Um, but so, not growing up in the era era of Andy Kaufman, uh-huh. like the movie has influenced me tremendously. You know what I right. mean? That's where I see a lot of it. The Man on the Moon mm-hmm. movie. Uh-huh. So I feel like, I, like I, Andy, I remember for who he is. Mm-hmm. Whoever the woman in his life is, I remember mm-hmm. as Courtney Love. Yes. But coincidentally, I pictured Jerry the King Lawler always being sixty. You know what I mean? Like I just because he played himself in the movie, yeah. So yeah. I always picture him, even as a very okay. young man. I yeah. still picture him looking like Jerry the King Lawler when right. the movie came out. Yeah, and I was always so confused by wrestling because I was like, mm-hmm. doesn't everyone know it's fake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they they did. It's storytelling, though. right? It's a soap opera. Yeah, it is, and it's theatrics. There's yes. interviews, mm-hmm. there's performances, yeah. There's acrobatics. Like it, it's certainly fake, but it's it's a sto- but. It's the other world where no one knew exactly what was fake and what was real. Okay. Right? Because it's the scripting and the storyline is fake, but there's real stuff happening. But don't you feel like that's that's Andy Kaufman? Absolutely. That's perfect Ab- setting for exactly. him. Because what's real, what's fake, we don't know. It's the, Who's the real Andy? It's the only world I can think of that has that big of a stage yeah. that you have that line. Uh-huh. Uh, in wrestling, they call it like uh, what's fake, they call it a work. Uh-huh. It's something that you're, you know, it's, it's work, right? You're okay. doing your job. Something real, they call it a shoot. You really went for it. You, you shot your okay. shot, basically. Okay. I don't think that's where it came from. You know what I mean, though? So you didn't know what was a work and what was a shoot. And everything in Andy Kaufman's life, you didn't know what was a work uh-huh. and what was a shoot. Yeah. And, and it's the perfect marriage. Yeah. It makes so much sense oh after listening to the rest of this. Yeah. All right. So he gets involved and he calls himself, that he proclaim, self-proclaims the intergender wrestling champion of the world. Because <laughs> he's not a very big guy. He's not no. very strong. He takes on this really aggressive, ridiculous personality, super chauvinistic, and he's offering women $1,000 so they could pin him in a wrestling match. And he's offering this to women, <laughs> not to men. Of course. It's all women, right? Because it's intergendered wrestling. He would he's never wrestle champion. a man. He's the, Right. So he parlays this into performances, tons of controversy with his people. Women were really pissed, yes. right? His misogynistic, this nature, and it's just really oh, – how many women do you think he ended up wrestling? No clue. Uh, four, over 400. Up. Over 400 he ended up wrestling. I, that's insane. Again, how many of those were put on matches? Right. How many of them were – how many of them really hated his guts and uh-huh. thought they could – this is yeah. amazing. Yeah. 400. So he initially approached Vince McMahon Sr. about mm-hmm. bringing his act to the New York wrestling territory. He thought, this I'll work with them and do this act. And McMahon just dismissed him. He's like, no. But eventually he hooks up with Jerry Lawler. Mm-hmm. Or, in Memphis? Yeah, Lawler. And so he steps into the ring with him. And they he taunts the residents of Memphis, like playing videos, showing residents how to use soap. God, that's those are the best. <laughs> those are the and But that's what you want. And they call it heat. Yeah. Okay. Right. You want people to get mad at you. Yes. You want them upset. And it's You're legitimate heat. Yes. And that, that's, that's the only reason there yeah. can be a good guy. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. No one You've cares. Have you have fo- to okay. have that bad guy. Yeah. So he's like, I'm so smart. You're so stupid. It's you know, the all best. this stuff. Right. So he has this <laughs> feud with Lawler. So, how great is that? And so one of their stage things, he such supposedly he like broke his neck. Like yep. Lawler, you know, broke his neck. And then he goes on David Letterman, Letterman. with Lawler to like, have it out and stuff for a long time after that match Kaufman was wearing a neck brace mm-hmm. he's wearing it on David Letterman and um, he insists his injuries were much worse than they really were so it continues to defend the intergender championship but when he's on David Letterman like you see him Lawler like slaps him across the face it's, yeah, and like knocks him like he like he's getting him mad again and he's really pissed off but 
they were really good friends. Mm -hmm. And that was all scripted and that was all planned. Absolutely. And they had a very good relationship. And it was not like Lawler would talk about the fact that when they were together, he mm -hmm. was a really nice guy and yeah. they were good friends and they really enjoyed each other's company. Have you seen the movie recently, Men on the Moon? I probably saw it maybe a couple years ago. I probably haven't watched it in seven or eight years, but I, I felt like they handled that really well in the movie. Yeah. Because what they did is they never really addressed it. They never broke storyline. They never broke kayfabe. Right. But they showed Jerry crying at his funeral. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought that was the perfect uh -huh. way to show you exactly what this, what they meant to each other. Yeah. That it wasn't this hatred. Yes. Without, without. Because you know, I think that shows you a. D the real Andy, yeah. that there is a real Andy, yeah. right? That he's not always a goof. He's not mm -hmm. always, you know, put, trying to prank people or trying to make people uncomfortable. That there is this right. real person behind all of this, yeah. One of the options he offers to women is an extra prize if they can pin him, other than the $1,000 they pin him, is that he'll marry them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is great. Oh, what a prize. I know. What a victory. And one of the wrestling promoters, this guy recalled that he would mail Kaufman payments for like, because he was technically, he would be wrestling yeah. in Memphis. He was part of the wrestling circuit. And he was one of the biggest draws yeah. they had. So and he's making them a ton yeah. of money. He never can't, he never deposited the checks. I, awesome. He never, didn't do it for that. No. He yeah. didn't need it. Very interesting. Oh, so related to his wrestling career, in 2002, he became a character in a video game, Legends of Wrestling. Yes. Legends of Wrestling 2. And then the Showdowns Legends of Wrestling from 2004. Oh. And then 2008, there was a WWE Classic Superstars toy line action figure two-pack of Kaufman and Lawler. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yes. Oh, that's Isn't awesome. Isn't that neat? That's one of those things I'm going to go look up on eBay later and see how expensive it is. <laughs> I almost did. You know what I mean? Isn't yeah. that kind of a neat, like, I know. just a little little piece? Wouldn't you love that? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. So... um Based on this, he did the wrestling on Saturday Night Live, and based on this, people were really upset about it. So they Saturday Night Live did this viewer poll to say, do you want Andy Kaufman to come back on our show, or do you want him banned for life? And so during the, the episode, they kept doing this phone poll, and Eddie Murphy was like, he's a friend of mine. And keep in <laughs> mind that when you call, I don't want to have to punch nobody in America in the face. <laughs> Mary Gross would read the dump Andy phone number so fast that the audience members didn't know it. And at the end, they announced it that he was, they voted to keep him off. So he was banned for life, and he was never on the show again. Oh, my God. Yeah, the audience. And they played 50 cents a phone call. Do you remember those days yeah. when you pay for a phone call like that? And then Don Pardo signs off saying, this is Don Pardo saying, I voted for Andy Kaufman. <laughs> so that was it. He was really disappointed because he didn't think that would happen. But he was like, if they don't get it and they don't want to see me, then I don't want to be on there. That's crazy. And for Pardo, to, I mean, for everyone to take his side. Yeah. People Which is who the right thing to do. With him, yeah. Right. It, again, it shows you the humanity of Andy. Yes. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. That stuff. I love that. And one of the movies he made was called My Breakfast with Blassie. Yeah. Classy Freddie Blassie. Yes. He's a wrestling manager. I remember this. This was probably one of my first introductions. So this was eighty four, and this Andy. was based on that My Dinner with Andre, which mm -hmm. is like the super pretentious, like these two guys having these yep. intellectual conversations. So, so this was Fred Blassie. That's the line from REM song, Mr. Fred um Blassie and the Breakfast Club. Yes. Remember that line yes, from the even, That's yep. referring to that movie. I always think of the Andy Kaufman in a wrestling match line, yes. but I didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So, it's so good. Yeah. I just, I I didn't really know that movie either, but I was like, I just love the fact that it was yeah. a takeoff of My Dinner with Andre, which is just so pretentious. <laughs> 
So again, I mentioned he dated Aileen Boozler. Um, they were really, really good friends. They worked together. He helped her write. Mm-hmm. She helped him write stuff. Very supportive. And she tells a story about a time when she was she had a gig in Greenwich Village. She said it was so cold. There hadn't been a ton of advertising for this, and she was really bummed. She called him and said, this is going to be a night where you wonder why you're stuck at this point in your career. You're really down on yourself. She's like, I, what, why am I doing this? Yeah. So she does the first set. She leaves. She goes get, to get coffee. She comes back, and she says this huge crowd in front of the theater. And she hears this voice saying, super funny comedian, come on inside. Super funny comedian, come on inside. It's Andy. <laughs> he's out in front of the theater. It. Dressed like it's freezing, yeah. and he's all dressed, Just you know, barking people in, getting people to come in to see. That's him. awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and this is where my memory's terrible. Was Courtney Love's character? No, Courtney Love's not character her. was the Mar- Lynn Margulies, who actually he met Thank her you. when he was doing the um, My Breakfast with Lassie. Okay. She was the director's sister, I believe. Oh, so she okay. was the waitress in the movie, so that they met That's that. Where, okay. So I think eighty-two. Got it. It was when they met. So he met Elaine in like 72. Mm-hmm. So he never married. He did have a daughter, uh, Maria Ballou Colonna. She was born mm-hmm. in 1969. She was a child out of wedlock relationship with this high school girlfriend. And she ended up placing this daughter for adoption. She didn't know that Andy Kaufman was her father until 1992. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So and when she traced back, she was able to find out her mother's biological mother's surname. And she was reunited with the family. Wow. And, and her daughter actually is in... Man on the Moon. So really? his granddaughter is in that movie. Aww. She plays his sister when she was a little girl. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. So Lynn Margulies, that's who we mentioned. Mm-hmm. She met him in, during the filming of that movie. She basically was with him until his death in 84. Wow. She wrote a book in 2009, which I didn't want to read because it said, Dear Andy Kaufman, I hate your guts. And I didn't really <laughs> So his illness and death. So now we get to the sad stuff. Yeah. So he's at a Thanksgiving dinner in Long Island in 19, November 1983. Mm-hmm. And they're saying he's got this cough. And they're like, Andy, something's not yeah, right. This isn't, mm-hmm. Yeah, something's wrong. And he said he'd been coughing for a month. So he said, I went to the doctor and they said, everything's fine. But then when he goes back to L.A., he goes in and they're like, you've got cancer. And he was diagnosed with this large cell sar- sarcoma. Sarcoma. A really rare type of lung mm-hmm. cancer. He never smoked. Right. And people, but people, because we're so used to him punking them, were no like, one knew. he made it up. Yeah, no one believed He's him. He's lying. Yeah. Even his manager was like, you're lying. It's crazy. The funny thing is, as soon as he gets his diagnosis, he tells his, his manager that he wants to get booked right away on David Letterman. Because mm-hmm. he wants Dave to ask him, what'd you get for Christmas? Oh, my God. And he would say, cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get booked on Letterman immediately for this cancer bit that's real. Unbelievable. Just for the joke. For the joke. And just for like to say that and make people uncomfortable and make people like, great. I just, I, that was such a great So story. did he? Did he get on? No, he didn't get okay. on. No. So that was like November. So like around December is when he's diagnosed, December and January. And so people saw him in January and they're like, he was so gaunt. Mm-hmm. And so that they're like something's wrong and so he tried like to cure it with like natural medicine like mm-hmm. eating fruit and healthy stuff and but it spread to his lungs and his brain his final public appearance was march 1984 for the release of that movie the my breakfast with blassie mm-hmm. and he had a mohawk because his hair started to fall out so he shaved his head and then he ended up going to the philippines to try some random which doctor yeah. stuff, whatever, just pseudoscience stuff. And it, he just you know, didn't work. It wasn't going to work. So he died May 16th, 1984 in Los mm. Angeles. He was 35, Jim. Unbelievable. 35. Unbelievable. But who lived more in 35 years? 
You know what I mean? Like he did everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be able to do that in that short of a period of time is absolutely incredible. What am I doing? Oh, what have shit. I done? Thirty-eight. If I died three years ago, <laughs> ugh, no one's podcasting about me. That's not what I mean. This guy left an incredible legacy. Yeah. Um, wow. The day he died, so Elaine Boozler was with him, mm-hmm. and she said towards the end, like he was so afraid to even close his eyes mm-hmm. that he like trained himself to sleep with his eyes open because he just didn't want to go. She's like, he fought so hard he didn't want to go. Wow. And so when he did die, his eyes were open. And so the nurse kept trying to close his eyes and they wouldn't oh close. God. And she said the first thing that happened in, to, to pop into my head was she had, there was a reviewer who once said, this guy doesn't know when to get off the stage. <laughs> and she said that popped in your head. She thought he, he mm-hmm. doesn't know when to get off, mm-hmm. you know, so kind of a bittersweet. Oh, that's great. But again, people just thought this was a hoax. They thought mm-hmm. he, of course, he didn't really die. Of course, I mean, it's still people think it's a hoax. Well, 2013 was that when it was? They had this woman came. She said she was his daughter, yeah. and that she, his brother, like believed it. That he and she said, "I'm his daughter. He's alive. He's doing the ultimate prank. He's going to come back." And his poor brother, who believed this and thought this was true and this was really going to happen, and it was like I went down a rabbit hole of that for like weeks. Did you? I was enthralled. Really? I mean, once it came out, yeah, because there was enough supporting evidence, and then a brother and, uh-huh. and some other people, you know, yeah. started believing it. Yeah. And you start, I started digging deeper and more and more, yes. and and God, the internet's a terrible place because you can just and people can just make well, Bob anything Zimuda, up. Like supported that, and I kind of feel like Bob didn't really have a career. He didn't really have a career without no. Andy. No. So I think for him that was helpful. Yeah. And they I think the LA Coroner's office actually released his death certificate. Yes. Re-released yes. and said no he's he's dead. Like but this is not. Imagine Andy Kaufman knowing that it, the bit's still going in some people's <laughs> minds. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like to a lot of people they don't know for sure yeah. if if he's gone or not. Yeah. I mean that's exactly And that many years that's later what people, he wanted. Yeah. It's crazy. The ultimate prank, mm-hmm. right? So 2014 Zamuda and Lynn Margulies co-authored this book, Andy Kaufman, The Truth, claiming that, you know, this death was a prank and all that stuff, which is kind of bullshit. But Zamuda did build this um, HBO special, Comic Relief. Uh-huh. So it was this annual benefit for the homeless by Billy Crystal, right. Robin Williams, Will Be Goldberg. And it was kind of, they he started that after this event commemorating the first anniversary of Kaufman's death. Okay. And then it led to this Comic Relief. Once people realized how, that people were still thinking about Andy Shapiro, produced this 1995 NBC special comedy tribute to Andy Kaufman. And mm. that was just super. People were like really responding to that. That's when they started the production of the the bio, biopic. Got it. The uh, Man on the Moon. So 1999, it's Jim Carrey. And that, did you ever see that Jim and Andy? The no. movie about oh. the filming of Man on the Moon? He basically became he did. Andy, he went right? Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, okay, man. so that's that's a great. If you have not seen that I documentary, seen that yet, yeah, that is fantastic. Uh, so uh, you mentioned the REM song "Man on the mm-hmm. Moon," and that was the part of their 1992 automatic for the people. That super crazy yeah. popular REM. They had kind of this song, and they were telling uh, Michael Stipe, "We need words for this." And so right into the last day of recording, Michael's like, "Oh no, that's an instrumental." And they're like, "No, Michael, like mm-hmm. we need word. This is this needs to be a song." So they literally said it was the last day of recording. He walks in. Michael worked very hard towards the end, came up with this beautiful lyric that encompasses doubt, belief, transition, conspiracy, mm-hmm. and truth. And the very last day, he walks in and sings it and then, like, walked out. And they were <laughs> like, oh, my God, that Incredible. was amazing. Incredible. So, like we mentioned, Mr. Fred Lassie in the Breakfast mm-hmm. Club or something. And then it's um, 
Andy, are you goofing on Elvis? Yep, you know, Andy, there's yeah. all those lyrics in there about that. So the basis, Mike Mills says, Andy was a performance artist. He wasn't a comedian. He wasn't a comic. And some of what he did was funny. Some of it was annoying. Some of it was irritating. But it was always provocative. And as such, as someone that you couldn't really pin down in terms of what he was and what he was not, was he dead? Was he faking? So he was the perfect ghost to lead you this tour of questioning things. Yeah. Did did we put a man on the moon? Did we put a man on the moon, right? What do we really know? Right, what do we know? So that was kind of an interesting, you know, this character kind of leading you through that. There's some other songs that were written about him, and I, I listened to them. There was a bunch, and they were, one like, three of them were, like, these horrible rap songs that I just didn't even like. Um, <laughs> but by whom? Well, so one was... I like... I'm a big rap you, guy. Sage so, Francis okay, is never heard Andy Kaufman. It's a song called Andy Kaufman. The Audible Doctor, Mm-mm. Andy Kaufman Theory, and Monsta Island Czar. Oh, for three. Okay. All something, right. Something to prove. So the movie starring Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon, it's about how Kaufman sacrificed his identity to Mm -hmm. showbiz and in doing so became a herald for the age when entertainment would consume everything in its path for our dreams to our identities. And when Kaufman wrestled women, he was just taunting the crowd, talking people, you know, taunting people. And people are like, is this a put on or is this who he really is? What's the real Andy? Yeah. Or was the real Andy pretending to be what he hated? And then realizing that he loved being that way, but... Because of the reaction it provoked. So it's like it's this complicated who was he? Did he like to be this because of mm. what it what it promoted? Or was he really that? And that's why he liked to be it. So it's kind of complicated. So but he loved that reaction. He loved the reaction from the people. It's hard to say who was the real him. The movie, Jim and Andy the Great Beyond, shows you all about what like the behind the scenes filming of Man on the Moon. Okay, so you mentioned that Jim Carrey like kind of went all yeah. Daniel Day Lewis becoming um, Andy, Andy Kaufman. Right. But so it's built around 20 hours of candid footage that was shot kind of behind the scenes. It was going to be like released to the press and it never got released and they just kind of locked it in a vault somewhere. But this director, Chris Smith, got it, access to it. So then he takes present day interviews with Jim Carrey and wow. clips from this kind of behind the scenes sort of mm-hmm. film, right? So at now at present day, Jim Carrey looking back and talking about what he what he was going through, what he was doing, sure. right? So it's like this meta thing, right? So you're like, you're being Andy Kaufman in the movie, but then it's behind the scenes of you still being Andy. It, it's really, and you're really- you're talking about your time as Andy. Now you're talking about your time when you were Andy. Did you find it uncomfortable or did you- No. So what I thought was very interesting was he would stay in character when the camera was off, mm-hmm. right? Even like coming, like even towards the end when he was being sick, like he, they would have to pick him up from his bed at home because he would be so sick right but a lot of people were like that meant that you were andy who you saw on tv Mm -hmm. you were andy you weren't the andy when the cameras were off so you were being andy but andy the performer right so there was no softness there was no sweet mild-mannered tentative andy you were being who you thought Andy Kaufman was. You were being Jim Carrey being Andy. That's really interesting. So that interesting. was kind of bothersome yeah. to some people. You're like, that's not who he was right. 100% of the time. Right. That was a small percentage huh. of it. And one of the issues was, and you pr- I don't know if you saw this, but Lawler comes, the wrestler comes back on. And even when they were behind the scenes, Andy's like, or Jim Andy, Jim Carrey's like punking it and like, you know, hitting him and fighting Lawler's like, what the fuck? That's not like, who he was to Lawler. We didn't, that, right. Wow. And he got really pissed. Yeah. He was 
really, really pissed. He's like, no, this is not our relationship. Wow. And like he wouldn't come out of it. Like Jim Carrey wouldn't come out of it. It was real. He's like, you know, we were very, very good friends. And so he was just pushing my buttons, pushing my buttons. So that was just kind of interesting, you know, so it was like it was like he was so into the character that even like the director and stuff would be like driving him crazy. Like, I can't Mm -hmm. I can't even talk to you. He would get like he would have an argument with his with Andy Kaufman's real life dad. His dad would be was in the movie. And so he would be talking with his dad as if he were Andy. That's so weird behind the scenes right. and like he they would get in a fight and he would like and the dad would be so upset it was if he were really fighting with his son uh, i it, mean that's the line uh-huh. you shouldn't cross it was, with the parents it was very interesting it's one thing to do with jerry lawler but with with his dad yeah hmm. yeah it was it, in a way it was like there was some almost a comfort factor that they almost had him back again interesting but then it was it was just weird it, it hmm. was very surreal I'll check it out so then, of course, there's Tony Clifton, right? So, mm-hmm. so when he would be Tony, he went was all in being Tony, being a total jerk, you know, so insulting everybody. He and Bob Zamuda would take turns being Tony Clifton, so you never knew like who it was. But there was this really great scene in the movie where Tony Clifton goes to the Playboy Mansion. All right, so Hugh Hefner's like, oh, this is so funny. I know this is Jim mm-hmm. Carrey, and so Tony's being a complete ass and like total jerk, and you know. He was like laughing, like, oh, it's so, you know, let him put up with it, putting up with it, thinking it's Jim Carrey. And two hours into this, Jim Carrey walks in. <laughs> and they're like, get out. They kicked Tony out immediately. Oh, it was God. Bob Zamuda the of whole time. Course. But they did like, oh, Carrie know Zamuda was doing yes. this? Okay, of course. That's so great. Right? So they're like, I'd well, almost kick Carrie out with him. <laughs> so that Jim and Andy is talking about like how they connected. It, it's mm-hmm. really, it's very interesting. So Carrie, when he's talking about himself, it's kind of this, he's sort of like explaining like what happened and how he got so into it and got kind of got drawn into this. And then he was supposed to do this video shoot with REM. They were going to do a song and he was supposed to be in it. And he was like, once he pulled out of the character, he goes, I can't go back. I can't do that again. He didn't wow. show up. Yeah. They're like, no. He's like, I can't go back. It's crazy. So base- basically, if you kind of look back, there were some comedians who commented on Andy and what did he influence. Mm-hmm. And Carl Reiner was one of them. And he mm-hmm. said, did he influence comedy? He said, no, because nobody was doing what he did. Yeah. He said, Jim Carrey was influenced not to do what Andy did, but to follow his own drummer. And I think Andy did that for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So follow your own drum beat. You don't have to go up there and say, take my wife, please. Mm-hmm. You can do anything that struck you as entertaining. So it gave people this freedom yeah. to be themselves. I can't agree with that more. Yeah. I think that is the, I mean, that's how he changed comedy. Yeah. And, and, and that's something that no one was doing. Maybe people were doing it. I'm sure they were. But no one had that type of stage to do it mm-hmm. on. And he utilized it mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Elaine Boozler says that she feels that Kaufman had that innate talent to, uh, like other legendary performers who can entertain anyone, anywhere. And we kind of mentioned that mm-hmm. this timelessness that I'm laughing 30 years later. Unbelievable. That it's still funny, that their acts don't rely on the specific time, place, or nationality, or the shared knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they're simply funny at the very deepest part of the human soul, and that lasts forever. That, without shared knowledge, that's, I've never heard it put that Mm -hmm. way, but there has to be some relatability normally, right? Yes. You have to have a common bond. You have to have something. So one of the hardest places to do comedy is Las Vegas, Nevada, or Myrtle Beach, or anywhere where it's a tourist destination, where people don't come in with the same sensibilities. Okay. 
Does that make sense? Yes. So where normally you're at a club in Chicago, it's the same people who uh-huh. go there, right? Yes. You're at, or when you do those church, the mm-hmm. church circuit, where you like know we're all from this to. parish, we're going to do these Catholic jokes. You're going to get this. You're going to yes, okay, that's really interesting. So when you lose, but I've never. Can you say that again? What what she said? Because yes. I've never heard it put. So she says their acts don't rely on a specific time, place, nationality. Shared knowledge. Shared knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's really a great way to put it. Yeah. Because it, it didn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. No. Ah, that's so good. Yeah. I thought that was a really cool. And I love, you know, she said she's eventually going to write her book about Andy. Mm-hmm. She did not like Man on the Moon. Okay. She said that's not him. Really? Yeah. Okay. She really did not like it. She was, I'm going to tell my own story in time. Interesting. Yeah. And she's like, I've been asked to give interviews. I've been asked. She wrote an article right after he died. Just to kind of process what mm-hmm. happened. And that's kind of all she's really printed about him. Mm-hmm. She's talked about him in interviews, but she's like, I'm eventually going to write my own book. So uh, he continues to be respected for the variety of his characters, his uniquely counterintuitive approach to comedy, his willingness to provoke negative and confused reactions from the audience. And think about that you're willing to like, like you were saying. You're putting yourself you're out there. You're upset when people don't respond positively to that. He knew most of these people are not going to be happy with what I'm going to do. And all of that, I mean, no one knows, but seemingly stemmed from his, the whole point he went into this is because people were laughing at him. Mm-hmm. And since he couldn't stop them, he would just use it to his advantage. Yeah. So I felt, I feel like ultimately for him, he was just turning the joke around on them. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. now I'm laughing at you because you don't know what's real or, or not. Or I'm not going to give you anything to laugh about. Yeah. Whatever I want to <laughs> do. There you go. Here's nothing I to laugh about. I control everything. I'm reading yeah. the right That's it. I control everything now. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's taking yeah. that and turning it into, it's, right. it's, it's subversive. Yeah. It's very weird. Wow. They just announced this year that he's going to be honored with a posthumous star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I so mean, 2020, they're going to put a star down for Incredibly him. overdue. Yeah. Right. Bugs so, Bunny has a star. <laughs> like, I mean, he's great, but he's a cartoon. Andy Kaufman changed a genre. <laughs> it seems way overdue. Mm-hmm. There was a quote that I wanted to read to you because Please. I wanted to get your take on this. So this was, stand-up comedy may be the only major art form whose greatest practitioners at any given time want to be doing something else. <laughs> yeah. So you've got all these stand-up comedians yeah. who are like, I want a TV show, or I want to be a writer, or I want to mm-hmm. have a movie, or I want to... Mm-hmm. So even the very best... They... Too many... I, I, too many. So many people use stand-up as a vehicle to go into something else. Yeah. And the opposite's happening. If you're a bit character on a TV show in LA, yeah. your agent's like, hey, let's do some stand-up, huh? Let's get okay. you out there doing some other thing. You know yeah. what I mean? But... Yeah, there's a lot of people who do stand up to get to do something else. Yeah. Um, but then there's like Steve Martin, I don't think wanted to do something else. I think eventually was forced into something else. He, well, he, he left early. Mm-hmm. He left stand up early and got into movies and writing and stuff. But he never wanted to quit stand up at first until oh, he, really? he always boils it down to the late show Friday. Okay. He quit stand up comedy because of the late show Friday. And traditionally, historically, yeah. in all but maybe two clubs have ever worked, Late Show Friday is the worst club of the week. Okay, well, wait. So that reminds me before I forget. I mm-hmm. have a little gift for you. What? So this oh is my God. Comedy at the Edge. And so it's about that time period. 
of like amazing. the 70s. It's really good. And this it's short, great. so it's Thank not, you. you can just read chapters at a time this because is... I know you're not, you don't love to read giant novels. <laughs> do you know that about me? Yes. How do you know that about me? Because I know Just you. my ADD nature. I mean, I do, right. I do a lot of books on tape, but this I, this is something that I can pick up anytime yes. and I'm I looking think, for inspiration. I, this I don't know incredible. if you're like me, but I, I don't love, like, I don't want to watch a TV show about teachers. I don't want, I would rather eat glass. You know what I mean? But. I haven't watched any of the shows no. about stand-up. No. Or about teachers. Right. But I haven't. <laughs> That's just, I just <laughs> sounds terribly boring. But I mean, I haven't watched the Mrs. Maisel yeah, or no. the, but this, I watching think, real stories, reading real yeah. stories. I read comedy it's biographies really all day. So, yo, do Thank you. Okay, good. Oh my gosh, I absolutely. think it's really good. So I got a lot of information from that, and I thought it was so. What? So it's how stand up awesome. in the '70s changed America. Thank you. This is this is so cool. Yeah. I, so I can't thank you enough. I thought that was really great. But I th I love that quote, and I thought that was interesting because it's like you can be so successful at it and be like, oh, yeah, I'm really successful at this, mm -hmm. but well, I want to be doing this instead. And I thought that was kind of an interesting observation. I think eventually uh, for, for, for people at that high level of stand-up, the joke's done. Like you get to a point where you're like, oh, I've accomplished this, mm -hmm. right? So now move into something else. And But for someone like Andy, I don't know that there was ever an end goal for him. What would he have done? Like where would he – it's almost like – you uh, you can't imagine him going beyond what he did. I mean, there's no need. Yeah. What Andy Coffin would be annoying the shit out of us mm -hmm. if he had. Yeah. If he was still alive yeah. in 2019, yeah. or he would be doing just like, oh, is Andy trying to get his name out there again? Right. You right. Know? Right. Right. I mean, yeah. At a certain point, because no one else was doing it. Then if other people start doing it, then it's the trend, yeah. right? Then it becomes a trend, and then it's not unique. So mm -hmm. I almost wonder, like, then what would he be doing? Yeah, like, what's what the would, gag? He wouldn't Who's he still do that. Is he wrestling animals? I don't, like, what's he? I don't think he'd. I think he would just be in a whole different yeah. thing. I loved it. I had, like I said, I had so much fun researching this, this and awesome. watching the videos, and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to talk to Jimmy because I wanted to research about him. Like, this is mm -hmm. totally selfish. You couldn't have picked <laughs> a, a more fun topic for me. Oh, Thank good. you. This was. <gasps> incredibly <sighs> eye-opening and at a point where legitimately last night I was out with some friends and we had a two-hour conversation about people pushing boundaries in comedy yeah yeah and uh, you know the next day to walk in here and talk about the person who said oh wait wait what do you mean pushing boundaries there are no boundaries right. this isn't yes. comedy then this yeah. is performance art this is something completely unique yeah and this is just it's whatever I want it to be right and that might change in the middle of the joke I can't, um, I mean, you know, when, when you're getting everyone to laugh at everything you're saying when mm -hmm. you don't want them to, yeah. how you react as Andy Kaufman. I, I can't imagine. Yeah. It's crazy. It's great. So I highly recommend watching those Uncle Andy's Funhouse, mm -hmm. Andy's Andy's Funhouse, the, the soundstage. It, it's just, it's interesting to look at this so many years later and be like, this is still good. This mm -hmm. is still really interesting. And what I like too about this book is they mentioned Lenny Bruce. I didn't know much about Lenny Bruce. And so there's kind of an interesting uh, okay. stuff about him in there as well and his comedy and his the controversy associated with him. So that I think that's a good read as well. Is this broken down into the individuals or no? Some, just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's there's one chapter I think on Steve Martin and Andy Kaufman and the, you know what I mean. That's so they kind of yeah. It's very it's an easy read. So uh, I love this. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. So th and what? How is your podcast going? It's good. Uh, the when am I going to be on it? Good question. We need to. Um, we are getting to the point where it, by the time this comes out, we'll have released several episodes. Okay. It's, it's called "What Do We Know" with Harry and Jim. I didn't come on here to plug, but this is good. Can I real quick with my ten listeners? Um, sure. Where no, you have way more than that. Um, 
I also love the random people who have found this podcast. How cool is that? Yeah. Can I just ask you about that? Like the feeling that you get from people you don't know being like, hey, I found this and I love it. Yeah. That's, that's got to be such a cool feeling. It is. And you know what's funny? I don't know if you ever, there's this um, test online where you do like your love language. Mm-hmm. Have you ever done that? I haven't done that, okay, but yeah. there's a million tests online. Right. Where you so can... this is this is kind of a popular one. And it's like, what, what do you need? You know, I've been with your Uncle Pat for mm-hmm. 25 years. And... Part of it is what? How do you need people to show love to you? Like mm-hmm. what? It, because everyone's different, right. right? So if you're like, oh, I want people to give me gifts all the time, or that shows me they love, or you know, there people have different ways that they feel like this is how you show you love me. If you're mm-hmm. affectionate, if you spend time with me, there's different right. areas. And mine, when I took it, it was positive feedback. Okay. So for me, yeah. that's my love language. So when people are complimentary and people say good things to me, mm-hmm. that is what I need to feel loved. Sure. And I didn't realize that until I took that <laughs> test. I was like, oh, yeah, because I, I love when, pe- you know, I get positive response. And for some people, that's not really that important. It You know, it doesn't. It Again, it depends on what's. But I would guess for most people in performance arts, unless you're an mm-hmm. Andy who is doing this to get back at people for laughing at you, <laughs> which is the craziest reason to decide on a career. <laughs> but I mean, they get in it because they want that. I mean, you're getting yeah. you're getting feedback immediately. Yeah. It's the lar- I think it's the I think it's the art form where you get the most immediate feedback. And I feel like too, it kind of goes back to again my whole title of my show, which is so dramatic. Mm-hmm. Which I was very discounted as a, as a child, and that's my other podcast, like why I'm in therapy. <laughs> Um, because everyone should be, I think is the answer to that question. <laughs> everyone should be in therapy. But it was to be like, don't be so dramatic or don't. Mm-hmm. And it was so you're kind of what you what you need to hear. What I needed to hear was different yeah. from what someone else in my family needed to hear. You know, being in the same household, you can be raised by the same people and not get what you need. Absolutely. Right. Depending on who you are and your personality. Yeah. And that's that's interesting. And people not knowing how to it, 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 the love language is obviously mm-hmm. a big piece of but yeah. everything. How to communicate with yes. you, how to get things yes. out of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I was I was always I couldn't finish anything. And this is the weirdest story. I don't know if <laughs> <laughs> Hit that edit button. Um, I paused it. My, oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> At the very beginning, actually. We haven't recorded any of this. Oh, wait. Did we start? <laughs> We're oh, gonna shoot. Jim. <laughs> I was a sophomore in high school, and my English teacher stood in front of the whole class and was like, okay, Jim Flanagan can't turn in an assignment. <gasps> so every day that you don't t- turn in your work, you're going to have to read a poem out of this book of feminist poetry. Did he hang your bed sheets out the window? <laughs> <laughs> right. Basically, right? He made me read feminist poetry every day that I, which, I mean, again, 29 you can't do that it was it was just very you know you're 14 you know and so i never missed oh an God, assignment so again sorry. can i apologize no, 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 for, okay. for him but it was no he was the best team i was like why i walked into his class like you know, his office after class I was like why did you do that and he goes because i don't know what the hell else to do like you just can't right but every day i would make sure and then some of my other teachers were like oh now you're not doing any of your homework for us because you're at least making sure your english homework is done every <laughs> single day but it was i mean no one you know, now it's like, oh, it's it's this, it's that, uh-huh. and, and and there's ways to handle that. But it was there was one way to do everything. Yeah. Right. There was one way to teach everyone. There was one way to show mm-hmm. your affection to everyone. Versus now, it's yeah. like, wait a minute, how do we customize things for yes. people? We can mix it up a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I th- I think that's true. You do, and some people kind of disagree. There's there's back and forth about that. I tend to think that we learn differently, and there's different learning styles, and that you need to address that. Mm-hmm. And that I have all my students take a test. 
which is how do you learn best? And it's like, are you auditory? Are you visual? Are you tactile? So, yeah. and it'll be like, this one kid's like, I need to get up and walk around the room when I'm studying. I'm like, okay, you're tactile. He's like, no, I'm, I'm weird. I'm like, no, no. you're tactile. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Chew some gum. Sit on one of those exercise balls. Sit, you know, it's like there's different, it's like yeah. there's ways to approach that so that people don't go, something's wrong with yeah. me because I'm not learning the way you're telling me I'm supposed right. to learn. It's crazy. I mean, I couldn't learn that way but also just the first thing you did was you normalized it yeah which is the most important thing you yeah. can do before yeah. get these suggestions even just right uh, no you're not you're tactile this is fine yes. this is this isn't something that's unique to you right and you're not aware because up until that moment everyone's made him think he was weird for that. yes because you didn't fit in mm -hmm. and school is such a small part of your life and i try to explain that too that oh god try to explain not, that to a child but if you're not good at school school's mm -hmm. only 12 years of your life yeah basically mm -hmm. more if you go to college sure. but it's 12 years so if you're not good at that that's okay mm -hmm. because but you don't know yeah. you don't hear that and right. you don't and i you know i'm a college professor and i tell my students at all the time it's like it's okay that you're not good at this mm -hmm. because you're gonna have other things you need to be good at that are gonna make sure that you can pay your rent and you haven't gotten this far without being good at something yeah right so right. If this isn't it yeah fine let's get through it yeah and then we'll yeah, get to what you're figure out at. how to get through this yeah mm -hmm. for sure it's incredible um yeah okay so tell us your podcast again uh, it's called what do we know uh, do we with know? harry okay. and jim okay um it's a buddy of mine named harry rao is a very okay. funny young man and uh every week we have someone come on and talk to us about a subject that we don't know a lot about okay so uh after sitting here with you today <laughs> i think that's something that you're incredibly good at i would really want we, you know absolutely I to prepare like you i trust you're me you're not just I, gonna make me, me sit down and go tell us about commas <laughs> I'm right? get back at you I do know a lot by not comments. letting you know what the subject is that you have to teach us. <laughs> now, of course you would. We'll we'll oh, I, I we'll we'll find something. I would absolutely love to have now you. Now that on you that. know my anxiety and my <laughs> this is the most fun. Thank you. <laughs> have like a clown come in the studio or something. <laughs> freak me out. All right. So awesome, Jim. Thank you for doing this thank and you, coming because me? it's so fun. I just I love chatting with you. You're my favorite. This is the best. I, I love this. I've learned so much. I've got a new book that I'm going to finish this weekend. I guarantee Aren't you that. I, okay. <laughs> I rarely finish a book, but I will like get two thirds of the but way through the book. But that's one of those that you could pick up and read any chapter, and that's that's fair. I think that's good. I'm a I'm a big fan of biographies, but I never yeah. finish them. Do you? It's like, like well, I know where they're at now. You know what I mean? Like I don't need the. You know, know? they're dead. Yeah, I know. Do you um prefer nonfiction? I do. Okay, so your your yeah. my husband, your uncle, does as well. He really? loves. He doesn't like. He's like I don't want to get confused by what's mm -hmm. fake and what's real. I just want to know the real stuff. Yeah. yeah. Occasionally, like TV shows, I'll get locked into fiction sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I've never Game of Thrones was the one like weird like okay you know fantasy thing. Okay. I don't. I'm not a big fan of. I okay. Okay. Ever watch the Harry Potters or anything okay. of that? Yeah, I want to know. I, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't like being lied to like that. <laughs> this is bullshit. Yeah, that's, yes. like it's not flying that's on a broom. Not, that's <laughs> not what really happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how he is too. I I'll read everything. Yeah. I'll read everything. I don't. I don't. I care. believe that. Yeah. I, I can't get lost in it. I'm I'm too in my head about it. Yeah. And I think for fantasy stuff, if you it's have a good story, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. If it's a good story, if it's true or fake, I don't I just want a good Agreed. story. Agreed. Yeah. And maybe I'm just I'm less apt to pick them up mm -hmm. knowing that. Right. But I'll get lost in some sometimes yeah. and they're great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So thank you for listening, our listeners, and being with us tonight. Um, remember if you want more drama, you can go to our website and where we have links to the things that we talk about in our episodes. So anything we've talked about, the book, all that, there'll be links there for that. And our website is the sodramaticpodcast.com. We are on iTunes and Spotify because I finally figured that out. So that's super exciting. So make sure you rate, subscribe, and review our episodes for sure. We need to, you know, pay the rent here. I'm just kidding. I'm not making any. <laughs> <laughs>
But just remember that it's okay to be so dramatic. <laughs> 